Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Have you ever known someone who was hard to love? Oh yeah, yep, yep, a lot of head nodding. So what I'm going to ask, I'm going to give some examples, and if you identify this person as maybe somebody that's hard to love, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. So maybe you have found a neighbor to be hard to love. Who's ever found a neighbor to be hard to love? It's okay, you can raise your hand. Your neighbor's not here, okay? Uh, How about a coworker that you found hard to love? Okay, yeah, yeah, a lot of those. What about a classmate, somebody at school that you found hard to love? Teenagers, yeah, yep, a few of those. This one I'm going to be careful with. How about a pastor? I can say that absolutely. What about a spouse? Don't raise your hand on that one, especially if your spouse is sitting next to you. I want everybody to sleep in their own beds tonight. Uh, But the truth is, I think that all of us can... Uh, think of someone who at one point or another in our lives was hard to love. And if you're sitting there and you're unable to think of that person, you probably are that person that's hard to love for others. I'm just going to put that out there. But whenever I think about someone who's hard to love, the first person that comes to mind is a character from my favorite TV series, The Office. Can anyone guess who's an Office fan who I'm thinking of? Anybody? I heard it. Dwight, yes. Good old Dwight K. Schrute, the beat farmer of the office. Dwight is the epitome of somebody who is hard to love. He's socially awkward, weird to a fault, obnoxious, constantly conniving, and he always wears that same mustard yellow tie and suit combination every day to work. Even Angela, the woman who ends up marrying Dwight at the final episode, has a hard time loving him. That, of course, is because Dwight shoved her cat sprinkles in a freezer. But you can understand why Dwight would be somebody that would be hard to love. And like you, there are people in my own life that I have a hard time loving. I've met more than my fair share of Dwight's, it's true. But more often than not, the people that are hardest for me to love are those individuals and groups that perhaps look different, act different, talk different, or believe differently than I do. They're the people who exist at the fringes of my life. I see them in the comment sections of my social media posts. They live in the segregated parts of my city. They attend other churches if they attend at all. They adhere to contrasting political viewpoints. Their families aren't always traditional. And their stories of pain and brokenness vary greatly from that of my own. They're all the people I find hard to love simply because they are different than me. And those differences create barriers between myself and others. Barriers that I willingly choose either consciously or subconsciously, to keep me from sharing God's love with everyone, everywhere. Barriers are the handrails in life 
that I lean on as an excuse to pardon my lack of love towards people who live on the fringe of my community. Let me say that again. Barriers are the handrails in life that I lean upon to excuse my lack of love towards people in my community. And personally speaking, there are a lot of barriers that I have. I hold a barrier of fear that often dictates how I love others and who I choose to love. For example, I fear the unknown. I fear not knowing how to relate or perhaps even what to say to people. I choose to fear my own weaknesses, my own hypocrisies, and even my own adequacies. I choose, that I, I choose to fear that I will offend somebody if I speak up, be rejected, or perhaps even embarrassed if I say something. I choose to fear what others may think. Fear is a big barrier. Another barrier that I wrestle with often is personal sacrifice. Loving others, especially people who exist on the fringes of my life, is a costly endeavor. Love will always require of me to sacrifice commodities, precious commodities like time and emotion. And those things are easy to give away when people love me back in return. However, when it comes to loving fringe people, we're not guaranteed a return on our investment. And often it's easier for me just to throw money at a person or a situation than it is to invest the relational capital it takes to love them. And finally, for me, let's not forget the barrier of being too busy. Like any other red-blooded American, my life moves at a frantic pace. Between my work, my marriage, my job, my family, my friends, playing Xbox, social media, going to the gym, football, you name it, I am always, always on the go. And it's because of this being busy that it can be in a really insidious barrier to our lives. Because especially as Christians, we get busy doing good things. I go to church. I lead a Bible study. I help in children's Sunday school. I attend the church potluck where I have to eat gross food sometimes, but I do it with a smile on my face. All those things are not bad in and of themselves. However, the problem becomes when I become so involved in church activities that I no longer have time to love others. That's when busyness becomes a barrier. So whatever the barrier is that I face in my own life, it's true that sometimes I struggle to love people on the fringe. But I'm guessing probably that I'm the only one here this morning who deals with that. Probably not. I imagine that there have been times in everyone's life here where you have wrestled with loving other people without barriers. For some of you sitting there today, maybe you identified with some of the barriers that I already talked about. Maybe like me, you could say that, yes, I've allowed fear. I've allowed self-sacrifice or being too busy to hold me back from loving others. If that's you here this morning, I want to say congratulations. You're not alone. I'm right there with you. For others in this room, maybe your barrier is politics. I did it. I went there. 
given the divisive nature of politics in our current culture, I could not say I blamed you if that was the case. The thought of loving, much less even liking somebody who sits on the opposite end of the political aisle of you, may be enough to cause you to be triggered from here to kingdom come. So rather than actually loving people who have different political views than you do, you use those politics as a barrier to name call or maybe even label others. For others in this room, maybe you have a barrier of really a desire to be popular or be accepted. Seeking popularity and acceptance in our lives has a way of dehumanizing others that are on the fringe so that we can increase our social status. We sometimes have to step on or over other people to make sure that we're approved of or popular in other people's eyes. And perhaps your barrier is church. You wouldn't be alone if that's you. I'll never forget when I was a young man, a pastor and teacher at the seminary that I attended, Pastor Dan would go out and show his way of loving people on the fringe by hanging outside of sporting events with a megaphone, and as people walked out of the sporting events, he would shout at them through the megaphone, you're going to hell. That was Pastor Dan's version of loving people on the fringe. And I remember watching Pastor Dan and telling myself, I will never be that kind of Christian. I will never be that kind of Christian. However, that promise became a barrier as my desire to not be that stereotypical Christian swung so far in the other direction that I never shared my faith. I want to take a moment to also talk to some of the middle school and high school students in this room. As a former youth pastor, my heart beats for you guys. I know that loving people on the fringe in your school is really, really hard. You more than anyone else perhaps in this room face peer pressure based on everything from the shoes you wear to the people you sit with at a lunch table. Your entire life seems to be in a fishbowl under constant scrutiny. And I remember well as a youth pastor hearing students who would tell me, I see the fringe people at my school and Nick, I want to love them, but I can't because I'm afraid of what others will think or say of me. And I remember that conversely talking to other students who occupied the fringe at their school and just desperately wanted to be known or loved. Whatever barrier you have this morning that keeps you from loving others, I want to tell you that there is good news. We are not the first people in the entirety of history ever to wrestle, wrestle with loving people on the fringe. The people in Jesus' day, in fact, also wrestled with a similar issue. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 9. And we're going to look at a surprising way that Jesus loved people on the fringe of, the, of society in his day. As you get ready to turn to Matthew, let me give you some background on the story as we begin to dive into the Bible. The book of Matthew, if you don't know or haven't ever been to church or haven't been to church in a long time, is the first book in our New Testament. And it's a first-hand account of Jesus' life and ministry. However, Matthew was written or set against the backdrop of the Jewish belief that the coming Messiah 
was going to be a conquering or political Messiah. In other words, that Messiah was going to deliver the Jewish people from the yoke of bondage in Rome. And not only that, that he would conquer all of God's enemies everywhere as he established his eternal throne in the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is important to keep in mind as we read our story this morning, because it's going to give us some insight into the barriers that Jesus faced when loving people on the fringe. We'll begin in verse 9 of chapter 9, and it says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Jesus' actions, as we read this portion of the text, might seem a little innocuous to our modern-day ears. We may be tempted to think all he did was invite a tax collector to be his follower or one of his disciples. We might also joke that it was a poor choice on Jesus' part to hire an IRS agent to start a religious movement. But ultimately, so what? However, for those people that were there to witness Jesus walking and talking to Matthew, his actions would have seemed audacious and completely ludicrous. The reason for that is that we have to understand Matthew's position as a tax collector in ancient Jewish culture. Today, most of us probably wouldn't, would probably have no problem saying that we have no love loss for the IRS or the agents. But we also probably wouldn't go as far to say that we hate or would ostracize somebody who's chosen tax collection as their personal profession. This was not the case in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were seen as the scum of the earth. There was the fringe, and then there was tax collectors. Tax collectors hold this low social status in ancient Jewish culture, not only because they were seen as sinners, but also because they were seen as collaborators with Rome. Their label as traitors to the Jewish state was because whenever they went to go collect taxes, they would knock on the door, and when you opened the door, not only were you greeted by a Jewish tax collector, there were Roman soldiers standing behind him to ensure that you paid what you owed. And to make matters worse, not only did you have to pay what you owed to the state, but you had to pay whatever else that Jewish tax collector felt you needed to pay. And whatever he collected on the top, he got to keep. He was the scum of their society. And because they were regarded as outcasts from their society, they were disqualified from things like serving as judges and witnesses in their courts. They weren't allowed to um, attend church. They were actually excommunicated from their church. And even the disgrace that they felt personally was extended to their families, meaning that if you married a tax collector, the same disgrace they felt was placed on you. Tax collectors were the moral lepers and the untouchables in Jesus' culture. And yet despite that, here we find Jesus believed by many to be the conquering Messiah, come to overthrow all of God's enemies, not only talking with one of those enemies, but also going as far to invite him to be one of his disciples. Can you just hear in that moment the barriers crashing around with Jesus' audacious request of Matthew? 
Can you just feel the barriers that he's breaking through in that society? The social frenzy I had to imagine would have been akin to Ellen meeting with George W. Bush at a Cowboys game a few weeks ago, where people looked at that and said, what the heck is going on? People would have looked in Jesus much the same way. What is he doing meeting with that tax collector? But Jesus' shocking love display, display of love to Matthew gives us some insight into how we should love people on the fringe. I want you to take a moment and just notice what Jesus did. Jesus didn't write Matthew a letter or call him or text him or send him a dove gram, whatever they had in forms of communication back then. Hey, come meet me at church. He also certainly didn't say, hey, Matthew, let's go out for coffee at a sterile environment like Starbucks. No, Jesus ran through the barrier of location by going to where Matthew already was. He met Matthew on his turf before he ever gave him an invitation to follow after him. And in doing so, he powerfully demonstrated both to his followers then and his followers today that following Jesus should lead us to break through barriers of location in order to love people on the fringe. There is no one so far outside of God, either physically or spiritually, that they stand away from God's love or can't be reached by God's love. Be it a tax collector, a bar, a homeless shelter, a lunch table, or an impoverished area, love knows no barriers. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't stop there. He could have just talked to Matthew and invited him to be one of his disciples, but Jesus didn't stop there. Let's pick up the story again in verse 10 to find out what Jesus does next. It says in verse 10, Later, Matthew, this man that Jesus has invited to be one of his disciples, um, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Ah, for shame, for shame. But when the Pharisees saw this, and the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want, to show, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Can you even begin to imagine the uproar that this must have caused? If people were shocked that their supposed conquering Messiah was talking to a tax collector, a sinner, can you imagine the moral and religious indignation they must have felt to see Jesus now partying with them? But this was no small dinner party either. A lot of biblical scholars believe that this party was not thrown actually in Matthew's private home, but more in a public hall. And more than likely, there were scores, possibly even hundreds of partygoers in attendance with Jesus that night. This was a raucous party that Jesus was at, being thrown by the people who lived on the fringe. And right in the middle of all of that, here we find Jesus hanging out with people on the fringe. Oh, the barriers that must have been present in that moment. Fear, doubt, politics, social standing, opinions, power, religious norms, they were all there. 
And Jesus, instead of allowing those barriers to stop him from loving people who existed on the fringe of life, ran through those barriers because love knows no barriers. He was not a Messiah who had come to conquer governments. He was a Messiah who had come to conquer people's hearts. And when those who couldn't see beyond their own barriers in their life, specifically the religious leaders of the day, witnessed Jesus' radical love on display, they began to question him. And it says they said that how could he eat with such scum? Another translation goes as far to say that what kind of example is your teacher setting? If Jesus was unaware of the barriers that lay in front of him, these religious leaders were going to make sure that he bumped into them. Jesus' response to these self-imposed barriers is as poignant as it is revealing. Jesus tells them healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And he continues by quoting a verse from the Old Testament book of Hosea, which reads, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus begins to connect the dots between the book of the Old Testament Hosea in his controversial meeting with Matthew by declaring that the religious leaders of his day, like the religious leaders in Hosea's day, had become more concerned with religious practice and outward appearance than they were with actually showing love and mercy to those who needed it most. This is a barrier-busting statement by Jesus. He tells the audience that God is not worried about outward appearance either by the appearance that we project for others to see or by the appearance that others project on us. People's opinion, political power, social status, and the religious norms, all of it is useless in God's currency of his kingdom. They are all rendered utterly worthless. Instead, Jesus said, I am more concerned with the heart that desires to show mercy to those who are living on the fringes of life. Any barrier, big or small, social or personal, will crumble under Jesus' words. Because at the end of the day, if the only opinion that matters is what God thinks of me, then I am set free to go and freely share that love with everyone everywhere, regardless of what barriers I may encounter. Because love knows no barriers. So we see that Jesus and following Jesus leads us to freely share God's love without barriers. Conceptually, I think that's something for those of us who attended church, or maybe this is your first time. Uh, We can understand intellectually that God's love has no barriers. But what does that look like in our everyday lives? How do we practically go about seeking and loving people on the fringe? Complicating the matter further for those of us who do have a religious background, like myself, we were never taught to develop authentic relationships with unbelievers. At least I know that I wasn't. In fact, I was going as far to say is that I was to keep my distance from people who were on the fringes as much as possible. The old saying, don't smoke, don't chew, or hang with those who do, comes to mind, Right? But how do we get involved then with unbelievers and not compromise our walk with Jesus 
And here's what I would suggest. In order to do that, we have to love the way Jesus loved. And Jesus was not only radically identified with people on the fringe, but he was also radically different. Pause for a moment, if you will, and just think about some of the different stereotypes that you've heard about Christians. What are some of those stereotypes? Maybe you've heard standoffish. Judgmental is a big one that comes up constantly. It would be the last person that I would ever invite to a party. Yet as we read about Jesus today and in other parts of Scripture, we see that, man, Jesus hung out at parties, at weddings. Kids love to be around Jesus. His love was extravagant and not timid. The people of Jesus' day thought that holy men could only occupy a church, but Jesus' work was done out mostly in the marketplace. So must we. We must take time to understand the doubts and the questions of our friends and people who exist and live on the fringes of our life. We're not to shout the gospel from a safe distance and remain detached from society. Jesus never treated people as merely evangelistic projects. He, he established real relationships with real people. And here's the challenging question I had to ask myself this week, and I want you to ask yourself now. Are you involved in authentic friendships that allow you not only to share your faith, but life with, person, with a person living on the fringe? Are you radically identified with them? Or do you spend most of your time hanging in holy huddles? I can't answer that question for you this morning, but I hope that challenges you to question whether or not I'm radically identified with someone who exists on the fringe of my life. Finally, Jesus was not only radically identified with people, he was radically different. He was both fully human and divine. He was holy and he calls people to be holy as well. Jesus shows that if we are to identify him with him, with others, it isn't the same as being identical. If we're identical, our witness will be ineffective. But if we're Christ's followers, if Jesus has really changed our lives, then our lives should show it. And here's why being radically different is so important. For people who exist on the fringe, who don't have experiences here at church or with Christians, they don't have a clue of what Jesus is actually like. For most unbelievers, they see Jesus as maybe judgmental, as we already said. Or a lot of people will think, ah, oh, he's just a nice guy, somebody that my grandma would love. But Jesus when we live radically different lives, we have the power to introduce people to the amazing, life-transforming power of Christ's love. Following Jesus leads us to break through barriers, and to do that, we must live lives that are radically different, but also radically identify with people. As I wrap up here this morning, you guys know what I fear the most. I fear that people on the fringe and people who are not in the church or live outside this world look at us and conclude that Jesus' primary task was to help us read our Bible every day and go to church on Sundays. But when we break through barriers to love people 
they can begin to see and experience that Jesus wouldn't walk away from someone living on the fringe, someone struggling with sexual addiction, someone with an eating disorder, or someone wrestling with depression. He doesn't ask us to come to him when our lives are neat and eaten tidy. He meets us where we're at in the places we traffic in and invites us to follow after him. People struggle to imagine a God who gets involved in messy, needy lives. It's our job to break through those barriers, to point them to a living Christ, because love has no barriers. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.